Well, if you've been around here uh, and not under a rock, you know we've been talking about walking by faith. Amen. Returning to faith, which implies that uh, the past couple of years there may have been a departure on the part of some believers across the country from that lifestyle of faith. The Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. Four times the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. And then Paul told us that we walk by faith. And not by sight, which means it's not just faith when we're in church or doing something spiritual or involved in the ministry, but we literally live this life out and we walk by faith in everything we do, which requires that we understand how to do it. It's kind of unfair to tell somebody to do something and then not explain how to do it. So the past several months, it's been about explaining what it means to walk by faith or live by faith. And that means that if we're going to do it, we have to hear, say here, we have to believe, we have to say... And then we have to do. So if we are people that uh, hear and believe and say, but never get around to doing, are we walking by faith? No. No, on the contrary, we've allowed the enemy to step in and, and stop the progress of our faith right there at the juncture where the power of God would be released to cause the word of God to come to pass in our lives. And what a shame that would be. So we can't just say because I heard something in church or I believed it or even if I agree with it and talk about it that I'm walking by faith. I've got to get to the place where I'm actually doing what the Word said. So shout it out with me. Hearing, Hearing. believing, believing. Saying, saying, and doing. That's how you walk by faith. Now, that said, there is an enemy of your soul. And he will do everything he can to keep you from walking by faith. Now, some people, all it takes is just at the, at the hearing level. They can't even defeat the devil when it comes to sitting under the word. They never even get around to hearing. And then some people that actually hear, you go back to Mark chapter 4, you find out the enemy comes and snatches the word that was actually planted in their heart. They hear, but they, they never get around to believing. And then some people get around to believing, but they just won't agree or confess the same thing that God says about some matter in your life. So he can get you at any one of those levels. But notice that all the devil has to do is stop you from doing the word. And he stopped you from being a faith person. You are not a faith person if you're not doing what God said. Doesn't make any difference how many faith tapes you got, how many conferences you gone to, how many books you have. Doesn't matter. If we're not doing what he actually said, then we're not walking and living by faith. So he will do everything he can, the enemy will. The goal of Satan is to get you to disobey. And uh, you could go through Scripture and you can see time and time again where someone was doing just great and they had this grand disobedience in their life and everything began to fall apart. And aren't you glad that God can redeem your grand disobedience? Matter of fact, raise your hand if you had God redeem a grand disobedience in your life. Amen. Well, we have that in common. Aren't you glad He's merciful? At the same time, God would rather have you learn how to walk by faith and never give in to what the enemy's influence would be in your life. We'll go back to Genesis, uh, you know, chapter 2 and 3 in a moment, but just take Adam and Eve, for example. Uh, What was the devil's goal there? Get them to disobey the plain command of God. The devil shows up in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, the story of Jesus when he's tempted by the devil. What was the devil's goal? Get him to disobey. Get him into a place of disobedience. Why? Because there won't be anything good come from that. In fact, all of humanity was cursed because of what Adam and Eve did. Can you see how the devil would love for Jesus to repeat that cycle? 
if Jesus had given in to that, we are still in our sin today. Amen? Because he is no longer a sinless sacrifice at that point in time. But how many glad he won? Amen. Well, if he won, then it proves that we can too. But we have to learn how he did that. We have to learn how he actually walked by faith. We know that he heard his father. We know that he believed his father. We know that he agreed with what his father said. And we also know that he did what his father told him to do. And he didn't do things the father didn't tell him to do. That's what it means to actually walk by faith. It's not complicated. It's been, it's been so, uh, you know, mystical. It's been so basically confused the past several decades for sure that people you know, just think that's beyond their reach. And it's not. If you will hear and you will believe and you will say and you will do, you're a faith person. Mm-hmm. Amen. Don't care what your denominational background is. Don't care what mom and them said. Don't make any difference where you've been and what you've done. If you do these things, you are a faith person. Why is that so important? Why would the devil do everything he could do to get you into a place of disobedience? Why would he do that? Because if he does that, he stops your faith walk and he stops the consequences that are good that your faith will produce. What does that mean for us? We're blessed if we obey. Yes, we, are. we know that from James, don't we, church? Yes. Say, I am blessed yes. when I do the word that I read. But guess what? You're cursed if you don't. That's the record of Scripture. And listen very carefully. It's not just you're blessed if you do your posterity is blessed if you do. Your kids are blessed if you do. Your grandkids are blessed if you do. If Jesus tarries, your great, great, great grandkids are blessed because of what you do. But the opposite is true. It's not just you're cursed if you disobey. You're cursing your kids. You're cursing your grandkids. You're actually empowering them to fail where the blessing is the empowerment to succeed You're causing your posterity, you're empowering them to fail. And there have been a lot of studies done on this, but you've seen those ones where you take somebody who's a righteous man who walks with God, they trace this history over a couple hundred years, and they find out he's got five, six presidents and senators and business leaders and educators and presidents of universities. And then you track the one who refused to serve God, who was in jail, in and out of jail, an alcoholic, and you find out what happened to his, his downline, and you see the devastation. Now, all it takes is one person in the family to correct this thing. That's right. Come on, say, I'm the curse breaker in my family. You just make up your mind, it's done. Make a difference what they did before you. Now, you and I sit here in a position of authority. Come on, say, I'm a child of God. Say it like you mean it. I'm a child of God. You're a faith person. You have everything to say what happens to you, your family, your kids, your grandkids, and on down the line should Jesus tarry another hundred years. It doesn't make any difference. If you're blessed, you're blessed here. If we're there, we're blessed. Time you know we're blessed. Uh, we're just plain blessed, aren't we? But there has to come a time you understand how does the curse actually creep back into someone's life. And it creeps through a thing called disobedience. What is disobedience? We... I just basically told you what, what James taught. We talked about the levels of faith, you know, from, from no faith to, to, you know, weak faith to little faith, to strong faith, to great faith, to perfect faith. Everybody say perfect faith. And what that means is mature faith. Now, we learn from, from the Bible that perfect faith has its expression in doing what God said. 
you have a perfect faith when you actually carry out the things that God said. Now, sometimes people have a level of faith, but it's not been perfected or matured. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that obedience, which is the fourth you know, step here in, in faith. Say it with me. I hear, I, hear, I, believe, I believe, I say, I say and I do. That doing, that, that obedience to what God has said about that matter in your life, that doing is the expression of perfect faith. In other words, you and I can, every single day by choosing to do what God wants us to do, to operate in faith, amen, operate in the blessing, operate in what God has for you and for me. But if obedience is the perfect expression of faith, then disobedience is a perfect expression of unbelief. So when you do not obey, you are demonstrating unbelief. And how is that going to work for us? It's not. Say it with me. Obedience is the perfect expression of faith. Disobedience is the perfect expression of unbelief. Isn't that true? We really only do the things we really believe. You're sitting here tonight because deep down in your heart, you believe there's value to being under the Word of God. There's value to being in the house of God. There's value to worshiping God. There's value, even if you don't feel like it, if you had a horrible week, everything's falling apart, there's value. Why? Because you believe it. That's right. Amen. Amen. Uh, I mean, thank God you're a tither and a giver. Amen. Why do you do that? Because you believe it. You only, say, I only do what I believe. So my obedience is a perfect expression of faith, but my disobedience is a perfect expression of unbelief. Quite frankly, we can't afford the times we're in to be walking around in unbelief. Amen. Uh, we are where the rubber meets the road. We are where push has come to shove now. We need to put up or, or shut up. Amen. The consequences, if we obey, we're blessed. Consequences, if we disobey, we're cursed. And not just that, I want to say it again. If you will walk in obedience to God as much as, as lies with you, as much as you understand the things of God, you're going to predispose your future generations to the blessing. Amen. If you disobey, you're predisposing future generations to the opposite. I know about you, but I've had all the curse I want. Amen. Amen. Seen all the devastation, all the hurt, right. all the trauma, amen, all the pain. I'd rather just see the blessing operating in our lives, amen? And that doesn't mean we do this in a vacuum. We don't do it in a vacuum. That's why it's so challenging. But, but that said, let's not help the devil. Let's not give him the weapons to beat us up with. <laughs> amen? Go to Ephesians 6 for just a moment. We're talking about how to disobedience, uh, you know, proof your life. If... That's true, and I believe it is, and we need to know what to do about it. How do we, how we safeguard ourselves, and how do we, uh, you know, disobedient, disobedience-proof our lives? Watch this, uh, this scripture in Ephesians 6, 16. Above all, what does that mean? Above all, take up the shield of faith, with which you can do what? Extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How do you take up the shield of faith? 
by walking in faith. The just shall live by faith. If I'm walking by faith and living by faith, then I'm taking up the shield of faith. What does it mean to actually walk by faith or live by faith? It means that we hear, we believe, we say, and we do. That means that when we don't do, our shields are down. And those arrows are getting through. The weapons of his warfare we know are, are not like ours. They're supernatural. But how do you understand that oftentimes it's a matter of flaming arrows in the form of words and accusations and deceptions and all sorts of things. You know, you've often heard here, you know, I've heard Kelly say it for years. Will say it for years. I've said it. The problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived until... You're deceived. You can't afford that, right? Yeah, listen, you cannot afford a 10-year, 15-year walkabout in the middle of what's going on right now in this country. You need to be on the ball right now. But look, I can say, above all, and that's not the only thing, the only implication, and, uh, you know, in Wilma, starting in October, we'll be dealing with dressing for success, the armor of God, learning how in these, these wicked times to actually present yourself. And whose responsibility is it? You know, when you're a baby, someone dresses you, mm -hmm. right? But if mama's still dressing you and you're 21, we've got some issues there. Probably in mama and you. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> uh, and, and some people transfer it on to a pastor. Yes. The pastor should be dressing me. No, you, you need to dress yourself. Uh, I can lay out the clothes, but if you don't put them on, it's not going to do you any good. I can explain to you exactly each piece what it does, but it won't do you any good if you don't put on, what, the full armor of God so that you can, what, take your stand against what's going on in terms of wickedness in high places. You can't defeat the devil uh, on your own in the natural, and you don't have to. You have the armor of God, the armor that God possesses, the armor that God made and made available for you and for me. And a pivotal part of this is the shield of faith. But if you're not hearing, believing, saying, and doing, you're not raising up the shield. So where does the devil get us? He gets us at the point of our disobedience. This is not about getting into bondage and fear. But how do you know you and I are pretty good at knowing where we're obeying God and where we're not? Yeah. Turn to somebody and tell them it's not rocket science. That is an area of entry. And so we're going to take this a step further and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, the actual open doors the enemy has into, you know, our lives. But uh I just want to encourage you that uh, it's not just about uh, confessing things and believing things and looking and seeing God doing great things in your life. It's a necessity that you walk by faith. Yeah. This is not a luxury. No. Amen. This is going to mean make it or break it for a lot of people. That's why this is so important to grab a hold of and walk this out. So say it one more time. I hear, I, I, believe, I, believe, I believe, I say, I say and, I and I do. Doing is evidence of supreme faith, then disobedience is evidence of supreme unbelief. Listen to what James said in James chapter 1, if you want to turn there, chapter 1, verse 13. Spend a little time in James tonight. When tempted, what does that tell you? It's not a matter of if. You're going to be tempted. Say that with me. I am going to be tempted. Somebody came to Brother Hagin one time and said, I really don't want to be tempted anymore. He goes, okay, I'll just pray that you die. 
That's about the only thing I can do for it, because on the other side, you won't be tempted. Well, anyway, wait a minute, I want you to pray that. Um, the good news is you don't have to die to beat temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. That's your first problem right there. You need to understand who's coming after you and who supports you. You need to understand who's got the nature that's good for you and for you and whose nature is against you. God is for you and the devil's against you. Amen? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when what? They are dragged away by their own evil desires or lusts and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I wonder, if you look at this like I do, is there a certain place here that we could stop this cycle dead on? And the answer is yes. Write this down. Stop it at the enticement level. If you stop it at the enticement level, you're not going to have this lust rearing its ugly head. You're not going to have this thing conceived. You're not going to have something birth, and you're not going to have something causing death and destruction in your life. So what we have to do is, is learn how to deal with this thing at the enticement level. Now, that calls for you to police yourself. Notice I said yourself. Because Christians love to police each other. Amen? And I don't have to focus on myself if I can just think about what everybody else has got going on in their life. But that's not going to help you to police everybody else. You need to police yourself and deal with things at the enticement level. Stop the desire at the enticement level and you're going to defeat the entrance of the enemy into your life, which means... You're going to walk by faith and be victorious in this. The devil's not going to steal your obedience. Therefore, he's not going to steal your blessing. Amen. Everybody say the enticement level. You're going to be tempted. It's not God doing it. Amen. But watch this. If you can cut it off at the enticement level, there won't even be an ungodly desire or lust there. Look at James 4. James 4, just a couple of pages over in your Bible. And when I read this, I'm not calling you this, I'm just reading the Bible. Are you here? Amen. You adulterous people. I'm not saying that. James said that, okay? <laughs> Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That literally means choosing to be an enemy of God. Who would do that in their right mind? Well, we wouldn't say, I, today I'm going to choose to be the enemy of God. How many of that's not going to work out very well? The enemies of God, do they ever survive? Do they ever they succeed? No, they don't succeed. Uh, they're either cast out of heaven or they're defeated on earth. No, nobody wakes up and says, today I will be the enemy of God. But if you have chosen to be a friend of the world, if you have chosen to give yourself over to these things, then you have chosen to be an enemy with God by being a friend of this world. How many know this world is not your home? Use things in this world as tools for the kingdom of God. Use these things, and you know, for the believer, you can enjoy every good thing that God gives you, but you cannot go around worshiping them or getting sucked back into the world's way of thinking. And a lot of people have lost their bearings about why they're actually here. Amen. There's an eternal purpose for you being here. 
Every single baby born on this planet has a divine purpose of God. Amen. It's easy to understand abortion and why it's there. It's designed to counter God's divine purpose. All you got to do is wipe them out and I stop their purpose in the earth. Say it, every single one. You say, well, only the planned babies have a purpose for God. Uh, your plan and God's plan may not be the same thing. Amen. If I were to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you were unplanned? You probably, a lot of you, raise your hands. I won't ask you. <laughs> but some people are, I mean, they're some parents, they got it all together, you know, and this, everything is organized, whatever. But, you know, sometimes things happen. Does that mean God doesn't have a plan for that child? I'm going to tell you what, the, what you didn't plan sometimes becomes the greatest blessing around. God does mighty things in them and through them. And there's the enemy who wants to squash that purpose and that destiny. And all he has to do to stop that, that child's destiny is disobedience. That's it. Boom. Nothing grand, not some big strategy. Just get him into disobedience and everything God had planned for the lives will come to a screeching halt. But listen to this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. Write this down. There are no supernatural abilities in the devil anymore. He does have a mouth, though. He does have deception. And he's very good at what he does. In other words, in the garden, did he aim some weapon at Adam and Eve? No. No, what did he aim? Words. Words. He aimed deceptive words. That's the weapons of his warfare. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, if a temptation comes along your way, you can't say the temptation got me because if you went through a temptation, you're capable of beating it. Come on, say it. Every temptation. I am capable of overcoming every temptation. Nah, it was just so strong I just couldn't do it. No, then I'm going to have to believe you over God's Word. God's Word says no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, that's coming from the devil. But from the God's side, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. Yeah. Say it with me, a way out. A way out. Every temptation you have ever been subjected to or will ever be subjected to also from God comes with a way of escape. Praise the Lord. So it kind of maybe sort of sounds like you and I are without excuse. That's right. The devil made me do it. Some of y'all old enough remember Flip Wilson? Yeah. Look at somebody and tell them the devil did make you do it. He may have suggested it. Okay? This is critical. Why? Because you can't teach with integrity the principles of faith without telling people you can't walk in faith and disobedience at the same time. You can't do it. And there are people out there that think that, well, I'm in faith so I can do whatever I want to do. I'm under liberty so I can do whatever I want to do. No, you have the liberty to do what God tells you to do. And enjoy the best that God has to offer when you actually live according to his precepts. So every temptation temptation 
comes with a way of escape. The temptation comes from the devil. The way of escape comes from God. There's not a person in the Bible that couldn't have overcome the temptation. There's not a person sitting here tonight that couldn't overcome the temptation. We trained ourselves well, we're just natural people. In fact, when you go back to Genesis 3 and you read the story about Cain and Abel, what does God tell Cain? Now watch this. Cain is first generation, right? After his parents. Not born again. Not spirit-filled. He did not get to go to the Believers' Convention. He did not go to Hope Harbor Church. But when the Lord showed up and told him, what? Sin is crouching at the door. There's a temptation to sin. God did everything but spell it out. You're being tempted to kill your brother. And it's not because of him or me. It is you. You've got the problem. Sin is crouching at the door. But listen to what God says. Say it with me. Not born again. Not spirit filled. Not at a believer's convention. Not at Hope Harbor Church. Sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. I ask you, if a non-born again, non-spirit-filled, non-word of faith person can master his sin, the force of first generation sin, what can a born again, spirit-filled, on fire, attended Hope Harbor Church do? Come on now. Can we, listen, all I'm saying is, can we not live by faith? Can we not do this, church? Yes, we can. Say it, I can live by faith. Say it, I can hear and believe and say and do. I can live by faith. A story of the Word of God all the way through from generation to generation is the devil sticking his nose in God's people's business and trying to get them to disobey because he knows in the moment they stepped into disobedience, they stepped out of faith, and every good thing God will ever do in us or through us is going to come by faith. Get you out of faith, you're there. Now you're a natural person. Now you're on your own. Amen? Far below your privileges and what God actually ordained for you and for me to live. See, Sinners who don't know the Lord have no choice. They're going to be tempted and they're going to sin. You want to know why? Because there's a force of sin pushing them to sin every single day. Y'all remember what it was like before you were born again? Wasn't it easy to sin? It's like breathing. But now when you're born again, there's another force operating in you called righteousness. It's not pushing you to sin. It's pushing you to do right. Yes. So now, for you as a Christian to disobey, you have to overcome that force of righteousness. You actually have to exert effort to sin. Some of you are thinking, I don't have to exercise much effort. It just seems to come pretty natural to me, even so. so we, well, we're praying for you, Amen. But that force of righteousness, when understood and released in your life, will help you and empower you to live a wholly separated life. Yes. At the end of the day, though, you're a free moral agent. That's it. I'm just simply saying that if Cain could do it without the revelation of the new birth and being spirit-filled, or even have an imputed righteousness, which he did not have at that time, you and I, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness, you and I can walk by faith.
Amen? And whenever you hear me say, walk by faith, live by faith, right now in your mind, just say it with me. Come on. Say it with me. Say it. Hear. Hear. Hear it. Believe. Say. Do. Hear. Believe. Say. Do. Hear. Believe. Say. Do. Hear. Believe. Say. Do. Hear. Believe. Say. Do. Shout it out. Hear. Believe. Say. Do. Whenever you hear somebody say, walk by faith or live by faith, that should come to your consciousness. I got to hear, believe, say, and do. And you know, for most of us, the biggest issue is what? It's in the doing. We certainly have heard a lot. And I genuinely think we believe a lot. And we say a whole lot more than the average bear Christian. Amen? Because you are some of them name it and claim it and blab it and grab it people. And that's why a lot of you are naming it and getting it. And you are, in fact, walking into what God has for you. Because it has nothing to do with, with knee-jerk responses from religious people. It's, it has to do with what the Word of God says. But included in that is the doing. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago. The power to bring these things to pass in your life is released not when you hear alone or believe alone or say alone, but when you believe them enough to do what? To do it. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, let's disobedience proof our lives. Come on, say it again. Let's disobedience proof our lives. Now, we're just building the foundation here. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Every act of disobedience throughout Scripture and in our own lives comes down to three categories or some combination of them. Um, and Paul came up and had a conversation about this uh, following last week's message, and I believe it's, it's worth diving into a little bit more, not just so you learn, uh, you know, disobedience is, is, of course, what the devil's goal is, but what are those doors that he uses, you know, to get you into a place of disobedience? And again, it's not something you haven't heard before, but I want you to see in this context how the devil actually works and how he operates against your life. Go to 1 John chapter 2. And look at this. Say it with me. Every act of disobedience, every single one through Scripture and in your own lives, uh, you know, even to this day, it comes down to some combination of these three or one or two of them. It, can't, it doesn't have to be all three of them, but it, it usually is at least, of course, one, but it could be a combination of them. Say it with me. Disobedience. disobedience. Do not... Love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, wow, that's a pretty blanket statement, isn't it? Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from where? The world. The world and its Desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Say it with me. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Every time you see somebody disobey in Scripture, it's because of one or more of those particular doors into disobedience. Everything you've ever done wrong in your entire life came down to one of those three specific doors or forces. Um, now, we don't want to dwell on that, but we want to have an understanding about this in our own lives. 
and let the Lord teach us, and let the Holy Spirit, you know, make sure our, our hearts and our understanding the, the front door to these particular devices of the enemy. The goal is disobedience. Say it with me, the goal is disobedience. The doors are the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, lust uh, is, is a pejorative term because lots of times people think automatically sexuality, and that, of course, is part of that. But when we say lust of the flesh, we are talking about the desires of the natural man. And it, it carries a lot of different categories. Um, lust of the eyes refers to you're looking out on this life and you actually are drawn to something by what you focus on, by what you, what you gaze at. And that produces an inordinate desire that leads you to disobey in the things of God. Pride of life has to do with you know, your station in life, how you um, are viewed by other people, your desire to be liked. Uh, it can involve insecurity in your life, fear in your life. You know, the whole concept of pride is you're more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks. So if I had such and such, you know, then they would think I'm great. If I had this particular house and somebody would think I'm awesome, or if I had this particular kind of car or whatever the case may be, or, or this kind of a job, whatever the case may be, then someone's going to look at me and say, isn't that great? There are a lot of people who have that. They, they have to be viewed as on top. They have to be viewed as the best. And that shouldn't surprise us because Lucifer himself did what? I will what? He was declaring that he would sit on that throne. He would depose God. Let me just ask you, okay? Just take that one example. Is that lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life? We know. And what happens when somebody gives over to pride and haughtiness? They fall and they fall hard. Um, It's not... You know, it's not something that we want to go down that path. How many understand? How many have already fallen enough? Yeah. You, you, you've given yourself over to things. You, you know, you've experienced the negative side of this thing, the backhand, so to speak. But you want to walk in victory. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Um. Just take any example in your life, and it will come down to one of those three things. So what happens if you shut those doors? You shut the door to disobedience. Mm -hmm. I think if it is, nobody can do it for you. I've longed to, at times as a pastor, just shut and lock the doors for people. But guess what? I can't do it. Moms can't do it for dads. Dads can't do it for moms. Parents can't do it for kids. Kids can't do it for parents. Members can't do it for each other. You have got to recognize and make up your mind you're going to shut that door to disobedience in your life. Just think about it for a minute. I'm not going to ask you to get up here and testify, although that would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> tell us about you know, your pride or lust. Yes, amen. No. I mean, how many glad it's under the blood? Amen. That's where it needs to stay. How many glad it's under the blood? That's where it needs to stay. But with Satan, pride of life. In Isaiah 14, I will ascend. I will this, I will that. He had so many I wills, it reminded me of a Barack Obama speech. (laughs) I will, I will, I will, I this, I that. He's only surprised by Meghan Markle recently who gave a speech, and I can't remember how many times she mentioned me or I. I think it was 60 or 73-something times. I mean, you know what? That's what you're seeing in this culture today. 
It's not about you. It's supposed to be about him. That's right. Amen? Amen? But look historically. What about Adam and Eve? Go over to the Genesis. Uh, they started out really well. But how do you know it's not how you start? Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, and I know it's never good I did get into a conversation with the evil one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, how about uh, talk to the hand? <laughs> I'm out of here. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat. From the tree that is in the middle of the garden, you must not touch it or you will die. Now, you know, some preachers get all this nuance here, this syntax here of don't touch it. You got to say don't touch it, you say don't eat it. Well, how many of you if you don't touch it, you're not going to eat it? So I don't falter here. But I want you to, to notice something. Did she or did she not have the hearing part? Yes. Do you believe she had the believing part? Yes. Yes. How about the saying part? She still had the same part. Where did the devil get her? In the doing. doing. He's doing the same thing today. They've got the hearing and the believing and the saying down. We're even agreeing with what God said, and it's in the doing. And so what did she do? Read on with me. Watch this principle from the Apostle John play out. When When the woman saw... that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for what? Gaining wisdom, she took and what? And ate it. Which of the three just opened the door to disobedience in her life? Lust of the eyes and what else? Pride of life for gaining wisdom. Amen. Big consequences there, weren't there? How about Samson? His mom and daddy said, uh, don't you be getting no woman from among those pagans. And what did he do? He got him a Philistine. And why did he do that? Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. How about pride of life? He was really destroyed because of dishonor. All dishonor, I don't care what, what human condition you're talking about, all kinds of spirits, all kinds of things that are controlling people's lives, it comes down to pride of life. Dishonor is about pride of life. If I give you honor, then somehow that's affecting me, and I think I should be superior to you. Uh, you know, I understand that, that, that Miss Meghan Markle has asked for a personal meeting with the king. Now, personally, I, I, they haven't asked me. <laughs> you know, they haven't like called the church and said, what's your opinion on this? <laughs> but I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her, first of all. But here's the deal. Um, the entire thing that has driven a wedge in that family and driven the drama in that family and the hurt in that family has to do with dishonor. Yeah. And the thing that they should do is walk in there and bow before that king and say, we've been idiots. 
We've been dishonorable. We repent. I'm not holding my breath. But I'm telling you, you see this a lot. And when you look at Samson's story, the reason that was so devastating is because he chose to absolutely dishonor his parents. You say, what is dishonor? I know more than mom and dad. I know more than that employer. I know more than that pastor. I know more. I know more. I know more. I know more. No, you don't. Pride of life. Here comes the disobedience. You're not doing the do. And so everything begins to unravel on you. Scripture is just filled with it. Look at somebody and tell them, don't do that. What about Gehazi? The prophet said this isn't a time for receiving money from this leprous general that was healed supernaturally. But what did he do? That's just, he actually chases the guy down to disobey the prophet. So you tell me, which of the three are operating here in the story of Gehazi? Is there, is there pride of life there? Is there lust of the eyes there? Sure enough. Did it turn out good for him? No. No, this is a great guy. He had a great future ahead of him. Look at somebody tell him, disobedience will destroy any destiny. Amen. Aren't you glad we're talking about people in the Bible and not you tonight? <laughs> and I'm not testifying either, so... Say it with me, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are always the three doors into disobedience. What about David, King David? Doing pretty good. Tell me, which of the open doors got him? Lust of the eyes? He should have been out there on the battlefield, but where was he? They're a lot of gagging up there on the palace roof, and what did he do? Shot his eyes across the way, and what did he see? Somebody else's wife taking a bath, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Pride of life, baby. I can do anything I want to. I'm the king. How do you know you can't do everything you want to do just because you're the king? Or the boss? Or the one in charge? Or the parent? You got to do what God wants you to do. You know, there's some men who have this idea that I'm the man, she's the woman, woman submit. If you understand the dynamics of Scripture, first of all, believers, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, amen, slave or free, male or female. It's actually about submitting one to another as unto the Lord. And there is ultimately times where a decision has to be made. But your job as a man is to go to the mountain and find the mind of God and communicate that in your marriage, in your family. But most men think, well, I'm the man. I get to say what I want to do. This is the way it's going to be. No, your job is to walk with God and find out what God said. In other words, your job is to hear what God said and, and carry that on. Now, I've never yet, well, I, there's a couple of them I ran across in 27 years of being here. I've, I've met very many women who will have a man who will hear from God where they will not walk with that person in unity and in agreement. I had one lady, the more on fire her husband got, the worse she got. And it's mystery. I don't know about you, but I think it's great to have a, a spouse, a partner who loves God and walks with God. Amen, church. It's a wonderful thing, regardless of uh, where you are right now. The bottom line is, it's, it's a mystery. But the bottom line is that you, uh, as a child of God, you as a believer, you know, 
You have the ability to live your life in such a way that actually honors God in his word instead of dishonors God in his word. Are you here tonight? Um, and Bubba, it's not your job just to push people around. It's your job to find out what God is saying about the situation. Adam should have strolled in there when Eve said, hey, look what I found. He could have said, uh, you've already eaten this? Yeah, okay, I'll see you later. I'm out of here. <laughs> but it certainly should emphasize not what he thinks, but what God thinks about the situation. Amen? So, what do you think about David? Yeah. Amen. And uh, since he's king and since he's anointed and since uh, uh, he's a man after God's own heart, after all, God gave him a pass, didn't he? No, no, not really. No. No. He had consequences. What throne is Jesus going to take in the end times? Is David a big deal in the kingdom of the Jews, in the kingdom of God? Yes, he is. But did God give this big man on campus a pass? No, he did not. No. It goes back to what God said to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You, who must? You, David. You, amen, Gehazi. You must master it. What about Naaman? He almost went back home and died of leprosy. Was it lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or was it? It was pride. You see this? I'm telling you, go to any story in the Word of God, and you will find one or more of these elements that John gives us by revelation, that these are the things in this world, and that's what would take them down. Now, fortunately, he came to his senses, and he humbled himself, and he dipped down, and he came up what? Completely sound and whole. Amen. Um, just out of curiosity, which, which door does the devil seem to mess with you about, the most with? Is it important to know that? Yeah. I have, through the years, you know, uh, ministered in some situations where that's all it took for somebody to, to throw down what God had for them in terms of their future, their destiny. It just They got involved with somebody and, you know, they made a decision and, and they walked down that path. It's, it's a serious thing for us to know what we're doing and do it anyway. And they have an amen tonight. Uh, your destiny, uh, what God has for you, is far more important than anything you're going to get from that lust. Amen. Or from, or from that uh, showing of dishonor to somebody. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you matter. You matter. It doesn't do us any good to talk, yeah, I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm a faith person if we really don't understand what it means to be a faith person. Amen? Being a faith person means that uh, we what? We obey God. People that believe God and walk in faith, they they obey God. How about Uzziah, King Uzziah? One of the most successful kings in the history of Israel. The Bible says as long as he sought the Lord, God blessed everything he put his hand to. But one day he's in the temple doing what? Offering incense, which is only for the priest to do. And the Bible says the high priest with any other courageous priest. Isn't that interesting? 
courageous priest. But he was king, so the Lord gave him a pass. No? No. They rebuked him, said, you ought not be doing this. And what does the Bible say he did? Where did that anger come from and rage? came from pride. How dare you tell me what to do? King, priest. He, he thought he was like a, like a David here, king, prophet, and priest, but guess what? He wasn't. And what happened? This king that started out so well, so strong, with everything going for him, but, you know, militarily speaking, he, God gave him ideas and weapon systems that were copied all over the world for hundreds of years. This guy had peace and prosperity and victory. He was blessed going in and blessed going out until one day he decided to let what? Let that disobedience come through the door of pride and it ruined everything. You know, everything can be ruined in your life that you built up for years or decades with what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, Pride of life. Come on, look at somebody and tell them it's just not worth it. What about the rich young ruler? He was already rich. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad. Which one of those doors were operating in his life? Pride of life. I'm not going to give up my station here. Are you crazy? Amen. What about King Saul? Saul is slain as how many? And David is slain what? What does the Bible say when you heard this refrain? It galled him. Watch this. Jealousy, anger, insecurity. Amen. They're all manifestations of the same thing. You believe the things he did because of the open door, amen, of pride. How about Judas? I don't know, you know 30 pieces of silver didn't sound like an awful lot. What do you think got to him? Good question. Class, we'll have a test next week on this one, Amen. What about Peter? Denying the Lord three times with cussing. What was going on there? What about Absalom, David's son? I can do it better. Sitting at the gates of the city. Daddy don't have time for you, but, but I do. I've seen characters like that before. Amen. The problem with Absalom is if they operate that and don't repent, eventually they hang from a tree dead. It's very serious stuff. But what's going on? This behavior is because of the pride of life. How about Haman who had a nice big, you know, noose waiting for Mordecai? You see this? I mean, he's asked by the, by the king, how, how should we honor a man that the king wishes to honor? And you know that everything he suggested, God did for Mordecai. (laughs) Yes, pride of life. How about Jonah? Stupidity. (laughs) Which is another manifestation of pride of life. (laughs) 
Huh? We don't know all the motivation, but we do know this. He didn't go. Amen? Say it with me. Disobedience in my life is the devil's goal. His goal is to get me into disobedience through lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, or some combination of them. Amen. Now, it would do all of us well just to get before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what, what tends to be the one that comes at me and succeeds? Yeah. What is that one? Yeah? Uh, if you're acting a fool and injure somebody and you can't apologize, I've met people that just absolutely can't apologize. I mean, their face would fall off, their tongue would fall out of their mouth. They can't. What is that? That same person may never cross a line. Sexually may never cross a line in terms of going after something inordinate and taking an illegal path to get to it, but they would, in not a million years, ever admit that they were at fault in that situation. What is that? That's pride. And again, what happens to the prideful? Huh? Amen. And just ask me, Lord, uh, make me sensitive to know which door the enemy likes to use in my particular situation. But you know what? The good news is greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. And the Bible still says no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God will with the temptation make a way what? To escape. To escape. I believe this, that if you'll, if you'll listen to him just like he did with Cain, mm-hmm. say it with me, God loves me. Just as much as Cain. The Lord, by his word, by his spirit, will show up and say, guess what? Such and such is crouching at your door. But you must call the pastor so he can master it for you. No, you must master it. You must master the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. You must master those attitudes. You must master that dishonor. You must master that pride. You must master the things. Amen. The devil's trying to use to get to you. Amen. Why? So we're walking by faith. And what? And not by sight. Glory to God. Say it one more time. I hear. And I believe. And I say. And I do. But the devil is after my do. How? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, pride of life. Aren't you glad you have time to repent? Amen. Amen. Scripture still says that uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us and cleanse us of what? How much? All unrighteousness. Now, there does come a time where we step across the line, don't come back across that line. It makes it very, very difficult to get back. Amen. Um, you have consciousness of these, of these matters, of these issues. It's very important that you are, are sober and serious-minded. And there's something in your life, uh, what's going on here is you say, oh, I, and my faith's not working. A lot of people say, watch, well, I believe God for that and nothing happened. Well, before you shake your fist at God, you need to do an inventory in these areas. Is there disobedience in your life somewhere? You mean to tell me, Pastor, if I have a disobedience in my life, God's not going to answer the prayer? You're misunderstanding. If you're in disobedience, you're not in faith. 
And God is not obligated to answer your prayer out of pity. It is faith that pleases him. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. It's not God punishing you for disobedience. It's your step out of faith when you stepped into disobedience. And your faith is not working. Yeah, but I heard and I believe and I'm saying. Yeah, but you got to do as well. Say it, I'm a doer. Come on, say it, I'm a doer and not a hearer only. And it'd be awful prideful for us to stand at the throne of God and say, you know, I am obeying you in every area and I'm still not seeing results. I think we just identified your problem. Pride of, <laughs> of life. Amen. And he can speak to you and say, you know what? This isn't going on in your life. What you're needing to do right now is stand. Having that all to stand? Stand and keep believing God for your victory. But it's, it's not inappropriate for us to go to him and say, God, is there something that doesn't belong there? Search me, O oh God, and know my way. Is that, a, is that bad? No. no, it's not bad. It's a privilege that we can actually do. It's a privilege that we can actually be in a position for him to identify something and we get to repent of that and start all over again. Amen. Glory to God. But to understand the open doors into that disobedience are critical for us. How many will ask the Lord if there's any open door out there? Amen. Amen. What do you do with open doors? You just slam them in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a hand clap if you can receive that tonight.